Good morning, everyone. Mark, and uh, it's great to be back. Uh, I was actually uh, back last Sunday, uh, but I was uh, I was here actually. Uh, you may not have recognized me. I had a beard of sorts and some hair on top and and uh, stuff like that. But uh, got to uh, sit under the teaching of uh, Pastor Eric, and, and that was just phenomenal. In fact, uh, while I've been gone, I've been following along on Vimeo. Uh, watching the videos and uh, Pastor Dan teaching and, and Eric and just going along uh, on the journey with you guys. Uh, last week as I was sitting and, and listening to Pastor Eric, uh, I had the, kind of the same sensation as I do when I eat my first cookie. Uh, I don't know if you're like this, this is how, how I am. Um, I'm kind of like... When it comes to food, I'm like a, a shark and its first taste of blood. Like, it, it, there's a physical change that goes on inside me. Like, my, my pupils will dilate and, and I start to like, you know, it's like, how can I get more? And usually my first cookie, I just like, I devour. I mean, it, it just... I, I catch the sweetness and maybe if it has, you know, some chocolate chips in there, you know, maybe some dark chocolate chips, I'll, I'll catch that and everything, but I really don't get the whole, uh, just nuances of it, and uh, I don't really, like, my wife and I have this argument all the time, like, I enjoy it, believe me, I mean, I'll inhale it, but I enjoy the first cookie, but, but the second cookie... Or maybe the third cookie. Uh, that's when I start to slow down and, and really get to uh, just uh, uh, pick out the nuances of, of that that delicious uh, God-given circular wonderful thing, right? In fact, uh, I, I found a way not to feel guilty about uh, eating cookies. I just changed their name to recovery cookies. Amen. And like, so after I exercise, I'll eat a recovery cookie, and then it's good for me. It's no longer an indulgence. So that's a little something for you. And so basically I was feeling the same way as uh, I, I felt like Pastor Eric's talk last week was like the first cookie um, of, of the scripture. I devoured it and it, it, it was amazing as I really uh, just kind of uh, thought about it and, and uh, talked to some other people, went through a growth group with it. I just, uh, I felt at least for me, I wanted to put off uh, continuing in Galatians and actually circle back around and, and kind of do part two, uh, the second cookie. Of, of Pastor Eric's message uh, last week. So I don't know if you noticed that it's the exact same scripture, but it is. Uh, but hopefully, I'm kind of looking at it this way. Pastor Eric was going deep into in the scripture, and we're gonna we're gonna uh, dig just a little bit deeper uh, today. So will you guys pray with me, and and we'll get into it. Your God, just. Just in awe of this, uh, of your word to us, especially through the hand of Paul to the church in Galatia, and I just uh, see so many parallels to uh, today in things that that we struggle with. God, I just pray that you will allow us to stay free, to uh, grow and be transformed by uh, just living in your presence. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. 
Well, one thing that I really uh, appreciated about Eric's talk and really this, this idea of, of freedom, and, and he was really talking about things that we enslave ourselves to, and it reminded me of Second Peter uh, and, and something that Peter talks about in, in chapter 2 and verse 19. It says, they promise freedom. He's, he's talking about the world here. But they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. And I don't know if you remember from last week that, that Eric was saying, uh, hey, you know what? If you can't walk away from something, you're a slave to it. In fact, this week I uh, tweeted on another thing at Eric Case. Uh, I was sitting there and I, I got a, a carton of strawberries. No, like big carton, but you know, one of those, you know, good-sized cartons, and, and I ate a strawberry, and then I ate another strawberry, and another strawberry, and I, I realized that I was a slave to these strawberries, like I, I couldn't walk away, but I ate them all, so I think I won. <laughs> but uh, I'm not sure, I mean, the, I'm, technically that's still out, you know, if I won or it won, but... But, uh, you know, but it, it controlled me, right? And, and Eric was talking about, you know, there's a lot of good things like strawberries that, that can end up controlling us. Food, uh, relationships, our, our work, uh, all sorts of things that, that there's this kind of this line, right? That, that you cross over and you're no longer uh, in control of it, but it's in control of you. One of my favorite scenes uh, in a movie, uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Did you ever see that? Yeah. Remember Chief? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Chief was talking um, to uh, Jack's uh, character. I don't remember what his name was, but he's talking about his father's alcoholism, that it came to a point where he no longer drank out of the bottle. It, it drank out of him. And, and a lot of times, you know, there's there's that, that idea of we have freedom in Christ, but, but sometimes we, you know, we give our control over to the thing that we have freedom in, and then we are no longer free. In verse 20, continues, it says, And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord um, and Savior Jesus Christ, and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than before. It would have been better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and reject the command they were given to live a holy life. They proved the truth of this proverb, and I absolutely love this proverb. <laughs> a dog returns to its vomit. And another says, a washed pig returns to the mud. And that's really it, right? Like, it doesn't matter what you eat. <coughs> If you vomit it up, it's gross. <laughs> and I never understood that about dogs, but they do. They throw something up, and they go and they eat it. And it's disgusting. We're like, ooh, and like it doesn't make any sense. And why does a dog do that? I don't know. Here's a better question. Why do we do that? Why do we ingest things and, and then throw them up, which is basically repent of them, and then we go back to it and lap it up like a dog. 
And I thought Pastor Eric did a fantastic job really talking about kind of that side of slavery. And, and, and what I want to do today is, is to go on to the other side of, of slavery, and that's religious slavery. Now, one of the images uh, in following Christ is the narrow road, right? And, and really, the way I look at it is the narrow road is we have, uh, you know, kind of the vomit of, of, of uh, just self-destructive behavior that, that a lot of times our carnal nature encourages on one side. But then on the other side of that narrow road, which makes it narrow, is just legalism, right? And religion and, and us trying to be good enough to get to God. And this is really what, what uh, Paul uh, is really trying to uh, kind of illuminate for us in, in this section of, of Scripture. But you think about, you know, religion is, by the definition is man trying to get to God, trying to earn God's favor. And it can be really subtle things. Like I was thinking about this, like there's lots of things in the 21st century that Christians do. Um, and some of those things have turned into kind of, uh, I want to do this because I want to make God happy with me, right? I want to please God, but not in the sense that I want to please him because of my love for him. But I, I, I want him to bless me or I want to be good enough for God. Like, what are some of those things, you can just yell it out, that you can think of, that we do as 21st century Christians? Church attendance, absolutely. I go to church, God makes, is happy with me when I go to church. God is unhappy with me when I don't go to church. So, yeah, absolutely, that, that, that can be one of those things. What else? Serving others. Serving others, absolutely, that... that you know, I'm being, I, I want God to be happy with me, so I, I'm going to go and I'm going to serve. I'm going to be part of Serve Tallahassee and, and, and you know, be part of, of bringing the groceries to one of the 77 families that, that we have adopted and, and are trying to help break the cycle of poverty. What's something else? Tithing, absolutely. You know, I give not because I, I you know, out of out of just joy and, and trust in the Lord, but but I tithe because I want I want God to be happy with me. So so I tithe, and, and we have all sorts of these kinds of things in the 21st century. Well, in the first century, in the context of this letter, it was circumcision, right? That it was it was you know. Getting, getting fixed up, you know, to, and uh, made right with the Lord. In chapter 5, and verse 1, this is what we're talking about. So, Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. And, listen to this, don't get tied up again in the slavery to the law. There were 613 laws, and just like in the 21st century where we elevate certain aspects of the law, in the 1st century, they elevated certain aspects of the law that was culturally, you know, uh, kind of important to them. And they would enslave themselves. That and here you have kind of this balance, you know, you... We as Christians trying to stay free, that we're trying to, to walk the straight and narrow, right? Well, the straight and narrow is, 
is not so much activity, but it is a heart desire to be at, in relationship with God. To, to be exposed uh, in such deep relationship with Him that we are transformed by His very presence and experience with Him. And, you know, it really comes down to kind of this, this idea of that truly wisdom is different than freedom. Like, I don't believe that we as Christians have a lack of information. We don't have an information deficit. Like, I could come up here and I say, you know what? You shouldn't excessively drink. You shouldn't sleep around. You shouldn't spend more than you make. Like, is anybody, seriously, like, stand up if you're like, like, what? <laughs> you mean excessively drinking, sleeping around, and spending more than I, I, I make? This is not healthy behavior for me? Just go ahead and stand up so we can. <laughs> right, right. Oh, you're sitting down. You're just really tall. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hey, they, yeah, throw, throw it up right now. Uh, like we don't have an information deficit. What we have is a relational deficit of, of, of being so transformed by experience with the one and true living God that, that, that we are overwhelmed by his love and by his love by being overwhelmed by his love, that we are fundamentally changed and, and, and now abide in his love. Paul continues in verse 2, he says, Listen, I, Paul, if you have any doubt, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. That's pretty harsh. Let me put it in our language. If, if, if you are counting on tithing to make you right with God, then Christ is no benefit to you. If you are counting on coming to church to make you right with God, Christ is no benefit to you. If you are counting on being a good person and serving those who are less fortunate to you to make you right with God, then Christ is no benefit to you. Verse 3, I'll say it again, just in case you're really dense, you know, Paul's like, I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses, 613. For if you are trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off. He is a great writer, isn't he? You have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. And really, what Paul is talking here is there are 613 religious dead ends. But there is only one relational road trip. And it's really, it comes in, it's like, what do you want to experience? Do you want to experience? 
experience slavery? Or do you want transformation by being exposed and experienced and loved by the creator of the universe? This is the picture that Paul is trying to paint for us. And here's what he kind of really just crystallizes in Romans 3.23. It's like, look, everyone sinned. Everyone has messed up on the, one of these 613 laws. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. So what do we do? Well, continue on in, in verse 5. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait. We don't eagerly erect a facade of a perfect plastic Christian life. We eagerly wait to receive by faith and righteousness God, God had, what God has promised for us. For when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. Eternally speaking, there is no benefit. I love this next part. Listen to this, what he says. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. Isn't that a beautiful image? Our faith is being expressed in love. James talks about faith being dead if it doesn't have works, right? I like how Paul puts it in just a, kind of in a different, a different way, a more positive way, that our faith is not driven from our goodness or our obedience or, or anything, but it is expressed. Our faith is expressed by our experience in love. Going back to Galatians chapter 4, just to remind you of, of something Paul said there. He says, God sent him, Jesus, to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. I love the idea of, of uh, and the imagery of adoption. You know, there's... Uh, many of you and many people in our, in our church and people I've known have, have adopted children. And those children are not second-class citizens in their family, that they carry the name of that family. And they don't, like, give that child a, a list of, like, these are, these are the... the uh, Things that you have to do or you're out of the family. No, adoption is permanent. It's not a transitional thing. It's like, you know what? By being part of our family and carrying our name, that, that, that you are part of this household and, and everything in it is yours. And that... Our hope and our dream is by you being part of our family and eating together and, and watching TV together and going on vacations together and just by interacting with one another that you will take on upon yourself the characteristics of what it means to be part of that family. 
And there you have that they, they learn, children learn by example and by experience with their parents and their other children. John writes in 1 John chapter 4 and 10, says, This is real love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. You know, this idea that, you know what, we can't make it on our own to God. Remember before, we've all fallen short that, that God's glorious standard is these 613 laws and and we fall short of those. And that God has made a way for us to be able to be in relationship with Him. In verse 7, Paul continues and um, says, You were running the race so well. I believe that Paul was a raving, lunatic kind of uh, sports fan. He talks about sports so much in, in his epistles. I, I think that he would be one of those nut jobs like paint their whole body, not just the face. But like he would he would be one of the paint people. Like he loved sports. If he lived in Tallahassee, he would be doing the tomahawk chop. And like he would be, you know, just all about it. And he talks about sports a lot because, you know what, there's a lot of spiritual parallels in sports. So he's saying, look, you're running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. And here's the reality about racing. I, you know, I like to race. I like to uh, do bike races and triathlons and things like that. Being first in the wrong race means nothing. Being first in the wrong race is an empty victory. You have to be sure you are running the right race. I have a dear friend who goes here, Jamie Thompson, one of the best athletes that I have ever met. He usually wins just about every race that he enters several years ago. We were at a we were at a triathlon, and uh, he was he was out in front, and uh, he gets out of the water, jumps on his bike, and and shoots off. Now, something about triathlons and running races—if you've ever done one—they have volunteers, right? They have volunteers that you know say, "Hey, turn right here and turn left here," and they have like painted arrows and directional just to make sure that you're you're going the right way. Well, Jamie is not only one of the fastest guys I know, he's one of the most focused people I know. Jamie came out of, the, out of transition and he jumps on his bike and he takes off like a rocket. He, after the race, we were talking to him and he said, yeah, you know, I was going along and he's like, I was amazed. He goes, you know, uh, he goes, I knew I was doing well and I know I'm fast. You know, I'm putting kind of words in his mouth. He, he would never say that. But, but, uh, but then I started looking around realizing there was no one else around and realizing I know I'm not that fast. That nobody is around. There's no volunteers and there's no arrows anymore. And you know what? He was the first one 
to wherever he was going, but he was around the wrong race. And uh, he finally figured it out and, and came back. And, you know, a lot of times I think that this, you know, this is such a beautiful, you know, racing is such a beautiful picture of the church, not just people racing, but just, just how it all is uh, encompassed together. You see, it races that people come before those who are racing and they set up. And they take time to put markers and, and arrows. And then during the race that there's, you know, a race director and there's volunteers at the corner saying, turn left here or, and everything. And not only are they giving you direction, but they're also giving you uh, encouragement. I was in one race several years ago and, and uh, I was running along. This is when I was uh, much heavier and I was going along and one of the volunteers trying to be encouraging. They're like, come on, big man. You know, they have hot dogs at the end. <laughs> You know, people come early, the people at Red Eye, you know, they come here early and brew coffee. Uh, uh, the tech guys are here making sure the lights are on and off and do all that. The sound sound is right. That, you know, we're in growth groups and, and you know, being encouraged along the way. And sometimes church people say the wrong thing, like there's, come on, big man or big woman, you know. There's hot dogs at the end, but, but they mean well. And that's just life and that's church and that's relationships. And, and we grow through these things. Verse 9, I think, is kind of like a, a left turn. And, and I think I understand why he says this. In verse 9, he says, The false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. Now, I'm not a baker, but I, I do know that if you put yeast in your bread mixture, it, it becomes nice and fluffy. If you don't, it's like a matzah, right? In fact, uh, you know, I'm not against matzah, but, but I do like myself some fluffy bread. Uh, Judy Abbott, who goes here, she gave me, uh, she baked me some bread uh, when I got back, and I've been enjoying that. It's, you know, a nice, big, fluffy loaf, and it's absolutely wonderful. But Paul is making this connection of like, hey, you know what? This kind of religious kind of attitude that can take place in the church, you know, try to adhere to the law, that it can completely change the, uh, the, the, the structure of something and, and change it into something completely different. And while I've been looking at uh, Galatians and, and uh, I don't know if you've caught this, but a lot is, you know, the whole thing is wrapped around circumcision, right? Right? Like, I mean, really, that was the thing. And, there, and, and is it just me? But does Paul seem pretty adamant against the need to be circumcised, to be right with God, right? Yes, okay. I mean, we've been in this for 10 weeks, you know. If nothing else... Paul is against circumcision, and he's violently against it. I mean, he is writing a letter and passionately saying, man, it is the law of grace, not the law of Moses that we exist in. 
And this is where I think it all comes from. I think it comes from a place of deep pain in Paul's life. I think it comes uh, from an experience that he was part of two years before he wrote the church in Galatia. Luke wrote in Acts about Paul's first missionary journey. You can turn to Acts chapter 16, verse 3. And I think that this whole letter kind of comes into clarity when we read what Luke wrote. So Paul wanted him, that's Timothy, to join them on their journey. In deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left. For everyone knew that his father was a Greek. The letter of Galatians, I believe, is informed by the great pain that Paul caused his friend and his kind of uh, mentoree by forcing him to live up to a standard that was just wrong. I think he was so grieved from by letting that yeast get into his mind and into his heart that that he took this young man who was probably around 16 years old and said, hey, as a condition of you serving the Lord, you need to be circumcised. And I think he was broken hard about it. And I think two years later, he is, you know, Timothy's scars had healed. Paul's emotional relational scars were still haunting his thoughts and his dreams. And I think that relational wounds can only be cured or healed by forgiveness. I think all of us have, or I know all of us have hurt others, and I know that we have all been hurt. And, you know, the the nursery kind of elementary thing is sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but names will kill you. Words will kill you. And I don't know what Timothy and, and Paul's relationship was like really outside of, of what we read in Scripture and in his letters to Timothy. I know that he loved them deeply, but I also know that he knows that he wronged him. And I think that the only way that they went forward was through forgiveness. And maybe that's the takeaway for us today, is that, you know what, all of us carry relational wounds. And we have all wounded other people. And those wounds will never heal unless we offer one another forgiveness. Those wounds will never heal unless we make allowances for one another's faults. When we are in community and, and interacting with one another, people, including myself, aren't always going to say the right thing. We're not always going to do the right thing. But if we lead with forgiveness and love, 
and walk into wide open spaces of grace. This can be a place that encourages us to outbursts of love and good deeds and, and keeps us on the narrow road of keeping us free from bondage to the law on one side and the bondage of self-destructive worldly behavior on the other. The truth is that your addictions want you to serve them. Food addictions, alcohol, drugs, sex. They all want to be your master. Our culture wants us to serve it. Religion wants you to serve it. Really, if I can take the proverb that, that Peter referred to, those of us who have been free and set free from Christ, that religion and self-destructive behavior and all these things are like vomit. And we should not be like a dog that goes back to our vomit. We should not be like a washed pig that goes back to the mud. That we have been called to stay free. Let me read you some words from Jesus that I find so encouraging. Jesus says this in John 15, 15. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything a father has told me. We're friends, we're not slaves. And even though by abiding in Christ's love may spur us to love an outburst of good deeds, may, may spur us to serve the poor, may spur us to, to trust God with our finances, may want us to come to a place like this so we can be together and raise our voices and, and praise God. We have to do this because we're abiding in love and not out of fear. Paul writes in Romans 13, chapter, uh, uh, verse 8, and I think that this is so important for us. I'm going to end on this. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, listen now, if you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. Because abiding in Christ's love, knowing love not because we love God, but He loved us and being in the presence of His love and being adopted into His family, that we can throw away our lists of do's and don'ts And we can focus on what our Heavenly Father has envisioned for us. And that we can experience a life as a princess or a prince of the King Most High. You guys pray with me? Dear God, just thank you for this time together. God, I pray that this is a time of encouragement. Not a time that beats us down. 
but wants us to want to know you more, to want a journey together toward the ultimate prize, and that is an unbuffered relationship with you. God, let us not be like dogs who go back to our vomit, but let us relentlessly pursue who you've created us to be. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen.